Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right, so yeah, welcome again. This is the Inside LA Long Beach Sunday Sit. Uh, my name is Casey. Um, so I think for this um, for this time together, I was thinking about going over the. I think I called it the big picture on the on the newsletter. When we did the second round of the teacher training last week. Uh, this was one of the handouts that we that we gave, and it reminded me how helpful it is to have in your hands a list of the lists. So what you have in your hands is something we call the list of the lists. And in Buddhist practice, in Buddhist path, there are a lot of lists. And sometimes we need a list of the lists. And, you know, they say that the teachings are not exactly... Well, not really at all linear, and that the teachings can be described as a rope. So each teaching is a is a thread, and as the threads get bound together, as they can be woven together, it's very strong, and so it's much like a rope. So all of these teachings weave together. So I think the first thing to look at is. Um, it's always a good thing to look at, which is, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? So we can look at all of these things in the context as, you know, what's the goal? So what would you say the goalless goal <laughs> of, of the Buddhist path? And of course, it's just one way to get there, wherever there is. What, what's the goal? Like, what, why are we doing this? To reduce suffering. To reduce suffering, yeah. What else? Just kind of popcorn style of what the goal of Buddhism is. Uh, to be more connected. To be more connected, yeah. To reach enlightenment. Cool. <laughs> yeah, reach enlightenment. Like, what, what is that? What would we say that is? What's enlightenment? In this context, like the Buddhist nirvana, we say that like enlightenment, nirvana. What is that? Would that be like a state of zero desire? State of zero desire. Sure. Skillful mind states. Skillful mind states. Cool. Not attachment to outcomes. Not attachment. Let's see go. No ego. No ego. Exiting samsara. What's that again? Exiting samsara. Exiting samsara, so the opposite of nirvana would be samsara, so exiting that. Yeah. Interbeing with the universe. Interbeing, you know, love that word. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, I don't know if he came up with it, but popularized it. He likes that word too, interbeing. So I, I think for the sake of, like, I think all those have aspects of, of the truth of the path. Um, Maybe we could just, for the sake of this discussion, just call it truth. So Buddhism and Buddha was really keen on finding out what is true. And it's that, that popular saying that the truth shall set, shall set you free. Like, that's it, just the truth. You know? 
truth. And it's important to know that because if we think that this is for something other than that, so meditation and things like this, uh, maybe Buddhism are used for a lot of different things, uh, maybe in different environments for happiness. Will it, will it help you? Will it help bring more joy? Yes. Sure, sure. Will it help with relationships? Mm-hmm. Sure. Will it help with sleep? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> will it help with productivity at work because you're less stressed? Sure. It's important to know that that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is liberation. That's the ultimate goal is freedom. And freedom from suffering. And so the ultimate goal then would be to recognize truth. Right? So none of those things are, are wrong. It's totally fine. It's just that's just not the ultimate goal of this path. So we could look at, in, in the context of looking at the list of lists, we could see how are the, this list of lists, how are these helping us find truth? So let's see, let's start. There's one list of one. I thought for a list to be a list, it had to be more than one. <laughs> so I don't know about that one. <laughs> Mindful. I don't know what that list is. Mindfulness is just mindfulness. So, I, I like how this list is developed too. How they just put it in the numbers of the list. So there's there's two lists of two, but we can kind of go through them. I don't know if it's going to happen chronologically or not, but this is a good place to start. Two things to be developed: wisdom and compassion. So from this context, again, if we're looking for truth, why is it important to develop wisdom and compassion? They give you objectivity. I mean, if you're looking at the tr- you're looking for truth, I mean, you're looking at them objectively. I mean, if you're looking at them with wisdom and compassion, as opposed to judgment, or the Mm-hmm. I'm thinking wisdom to tell the difference between truth and non-truth. The wisdom to know the difference between wisdom, truth and non-truth. Yeah, like discernment. So some, sometimes the ability to recognize suffering in yourself and others comes from compassion. Mm-hmm. Because I can't always share someone's experience, but compassion allows me to see the suffering. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's enough. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have had the same suffering that you mm-hmm. had, mm-hmm. but compassion allows me to see that you are suffering. Mm-hmm. And it ties back to the ultimate goal of liberation, which mm-hmm. is release of suffering. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, the truth can be quite painful, so it's necessary to have a, a sense of compassion. Mm. That's a really good one. She said the truth can be quite painful, so it's good to have to meet it with, with compassion, right? And this is very true. We'll, we will see in our meditation practice what we're looking at is not always very comfortable, so we're meeting it with compassion. So I think a couple ways to look at this is that wisdom and compassion are two aspects of ultimate truth. That the reason why we're cultivating them is because this is where we're headed. So this is right view. 
So in both in both of these instances, wisdom and compassion have oh, which is actually the next list, two different aspects of so ultimate and relative truth. So there's ultimate and re relative truth. Of course, the, the ultimate truth is the truth of clear seeing, the truth of truth, how things actually are. And then we have the, the relative truth, which is more our day-to-day samsaric perception of duality, good and bad, you know, uh, relativity, things are like this or like that, independence, impermanence, all those things. Right? <coughs> so with wisdom and compassion, we have relative compassion. So this is the day-to-day -day compassion that we could have for one another. I suffer, I know that you suffer, I'm empathic to that, and I wish to free you from that suffering. We have a loved one, we see them suffering, automatically we have compassion. Why do you think that in an ultimate sense, compassion would be naturally arising after like an awakening? Why would we say that it's just spontaneously there? So it is said that compassion is innately present in awakening. So we awaken to the truth as it is, uncultivated compassion arises naturally just as a way of being why do we think that is not separate than others not separate than others is that what you said to you? yeah so there's there's this feeling that i cannot be fully free until all beings are free yeah and we could see this all on a relative level how about if you're totally happy and your partner's not happy mm -hmm. Huh? <laughs> 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 you're not totally happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the saying that a, a Buddha always has one eye crying. You know, a Buddha always has one eye crying for the compassion, you know, of all beings that are still suffering in delusion, not recognizing their own true nature, not recognizing the wisdom to see things as they are, to see themselves as they are. So the wisdom, this ultimate wisdom in this, in this way, so there's wisdom of detangling ourselves from samsaric attachments, and then the ultimate wisdom of seeing ourselves as we truly are, already free. So in this instance, this would be the, the ultimate truth of wisdom, clear seeing. So this is what we mean when we're using the word wisdom, mostly in the context we'll say ignorance and, and wisdom. Wisdom is clear seeing. And you'll see that this, these lists are usually moving us away from delusion or cultivating the clear seeing. So there's kind of this detanglement, like what gets us away from attachment and then what really cultivates the stability of mind to pierce through that and see clearly. There's a story I was going to share. What about the tears? Ah, it's okay. Three list of three. So, the the three the characteristics of all phenomena. Sometimes these are these are called the three marks, the three marks of existence. Um, this is a very very powerful teaching to cut through our delusion. 
um, seeing things as they truly are, right? So, all, so many of these things will, will be categorized in, in the first of the eightfold eight list, right view. So, we have right view. If you want to go to eight, <laughs> the list of eight. So, we have the page four, the list of eight, the eightfold path, right? And we have right view. It says right understanding or view. So right view is seeing things as, as they truly are. And if we go back to the page one and look at the, the three marks of existence, we forget, because we forget these three things, we cannot see things as they truly are. It's, it's forgetting that these things, these three things are present in every single moment. We cannot, we cannot see things as they truly are. So we forget impermanence all the time. <laughs> in every little way, we forget impermanence. Yeah? How many, how do we forget impermanence, just like popcorn style? Like how, attachment. Attachment, yeah? Attachment. Like things are going to go, things are going to go a certain way. Right? All the time. Like, we actually thought that Sunday sit was going to happen today. <laughs> yeah? Like, going here, like, walking here, I thought, yep, we're going to come here, we're going to do a Sunday sit. You know, some people came when the door was locked. There might have been a moment where, like, did I have the day right, or whatever. <laughs> right? But we could have all come and then no, no Sunday sit. Yeah? So attachment. What else? Just every little thing. Language. A little bit. We solidify things with language. Yeah. Those aren't fixed. Mm. True. Fixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With language. Mm -hmm. We plan for things in the future. Yeah, we plan for things. And we don't imagine ourselves ever dying. True. <laughs> Unless you're Buddhist. <laughs> and then sometimes you do you know death death and impermanence meditation, which is really helpful, yeah, for that. Or we worry about things that might happen in the future that may never happen. No one does that. It's <laughs> <laughs> just silly. <laughs> we categorize and stereotype people. Categorize and stereotype people. We want them to be one way. Yes. This is a fascinating one. This is, this is a fascinating one because, you know, we do this with people that we see all the time, forgetting that they're impermanent. If somebody leaves your presence for a moment, the next time you see them, they're going to be completely different, right? You can see from a, coming to a Dharma talk or something, or just going throughout your life, you know, on, sitting in traffic or whatever, we could see within 20 minutes how we could be totally different. Our mind states can be different. The emotions that we're holding are different. The thoughts, beliefs, concepts can be different, right? And so when somebody comes back into our lives, it could be after a day's worth of work or whatnot, we think, oh, I know, I know you. Mm. See, this is not clear seeing. It's not seeing things as, they, as it is, right? All that imputation that we're putting on top of that is that, oh, you're like this. That's, that's such a good one to remember. You know, they're an impermanent, interdependent being. 
Yeah. What else? Does the delusion of believing that you remember things accurately. Mm. The delusion that you... Yeah, it's like we have this idea that mm -hmm. we think we actually... Our story is somehow correct. Mm -hmm. It's totally deluded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, remembering things as we thought they were, so it's kind of pointing towards, you know, impermanence of um, seeing things or remembering things um, all, all the time. We, we forget about impermanence. So this forgetting about impermanence, you know, definitely, like we mentioned, can lead to attachment, for sure. Um, so the second aspect is this unsatisfactory, this dukkha, the, the basic unsatisfactory nature of external existence. You know, we, we forget all the time that no matter how much good stuff I get, I'm only going to want more. <laughs> you know, that I'm actually not going to, it's not going to be sustainable and reliable, right? It's not, it's not going to quench my thirst. But there's always that carrot. When this happens, this is going to be it. When this happens, this is going to be it. I, I'm going to be happy when. I'm going to be happy when. It's just, it's never ending. And I watch myself, even though I know this and you know this, and I watch myself, I'm going to be happy when. It's constant. Yeah. And by forgetting that I'm, it's not going to be happy when, it's going to be, you're going to be liberated. When is liberation going to happen? <laughs> when it happens. Shannon said it, actually. When? When. Now. Now. <laughs> if it were to happen, it would happen in, in a now moment. But if we're not accustomed to sitting with the now, going to miss it. I mean, it, and this is actually the whole practice, yeah? Yeah, um, This is the whole practice because if we're, if we're so caught up in things out, outside of, of the now, what gets us out of the now? Very simply. Thinking Almost every teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everything. <laughs> thinking. And it's not really thinking, but it's following the thinking. Because thinking is, is rehearsing or rehashing. Yeah, rehearsing the future, rehashing the past. Right? So you'll notice that as we go through this, the rest of the practice is just coming back, coming back. You know, how are the ways to detangle ourselves from getting, getting caught and to practice non-grasping mind, right? Okay, empty of inherent existence. Empty of, things are empty of inherent existence. This is obviously a very broad topic. Um, you know, don't really have time. <laughs> <laughs> Empty of inherent existence. But we can simply say that things are not existing from their own side as something that we need to create to create something out of it. Right? We could all see this very very easily that we're all not going to view this bowl exactly the same. Yeah, so it's not, it's not inherently existing from its own side as a Tibetan singing bowl. Yeah? In other words, would a, would a hawk see it like this? Would a dog see it like that? Are all of us seeing it like that? If we take it to uh, one of the children, are they going to see it like this? Is it, is it existing from its own side in a certain way? In a fixed, permanent way? 
No, we could see that that's not, yeah? It obviously takes your perception to view it and how you view it. It's not existing from its own side like that, yeah? It's subject to um, duality in that sense, right? So we can see it's, it's empty of inherent existence. What this means is it's, it is going to be, it's going to exist as you think it exists. But ultimately, it exists just as something that is. And we forget this because we think our cell phone's going to work because we imputed the functionality of a cell phone. So when the cell phone doesn't work, we say what? <laughs> Crappy cell phone. But of course, there's no cell phone in the cell phone. Yeah? There's not one part of that cell phone. There's not one part you can say, this is it. This is the cell phone. Yeah. So actually, everything in existence, what we're labeling as an it, as a thing, we're labeling the functionality, not the thing. We're labeling, labeling a chair a chair. You can't find the chair in the chair, but because it functions like a chair, it's a chair. Right? You can grab a little object or something at your house, like a coffee table. You sit on it, all of a sudden it's a chair. You get back up, it's a coffee table. Right? You break a leg on the chair, and you just have the, the wooden piece. You know, you can carve it, and all of a sudden it's art, <laughs> whatever, you know? This, this place, when I first got here in Long Beach, this actual building was a motorcycle consignment shop. <laughs> Yellow Devil. It was awesome. <laughs> and now it's Sacred Roots. But see, it's not, it's not existing permanently like this yeah just changing when does it when does it switch over and this is another interesting thing with it with emptiness it's like when does it actually switch when did it become from yellow devil to sacred roots healing at what moment did it change did it did it when when the three women came and said hey we're gonna make this our new place verbally when they signed something when they put the logos up when did it change it's constantly changing. it's constantly changing Impermanence. It's constantly changing. Right? And the beauty here, like the root of the suffering can be cut when we turn this teaching upon ourselves. Right? No self, no problem. So when we understand that we are empty, <coughs> when we are impermanent, when we are interdependent beings, now, this is, this can remove a lot of the attachments that lead to suffering. But it can be unstabilizing at first. <laughs> I am empty. But you're really full. Yeah? Okay, we can get into more of that later. <laughs> Continuing on. Okay, the divisions of teachings... Um, Sila, this morality, concentration, and wisdom. So, how can Sila lead to truth? Maybe just efficient compassion, compassion, kind of. The, what was the first e word you said? Efficient compassion. Efficient compassion. Yeah. Cool. I think there's a process here that if you are acting immorally, you have to justify it in your mind, which makes it more than two blocks out the truth. Yeah. 
Thank you. Um, inherently good. And then if I act unethically, that's not in alignment with what I So you're inherently good, he said. And if you act opposed to that, then you're acting opposed to truth. Mm. Mm. It requires an effort to pay attention. Like, it requires an effort to pay attention to be ethical, you're saying. Or not. Or not. Yeah. yeah. Also, it ties to the Eightfold Path with right speech and right action and right intention, mm -hmm. which is the path laid out to achieve liberation. Yeah, so sila, th these components are in the Eightfold Path, so Buddha was really, um, he emphasized this ethics quite a bit, yeah? So yeah, all of those are true, so in uh, unwholesome, so this goes back into wise, wise efforts too, which are somewhere in here, the, like the unwholesome practices, you could say cloud they cloud the mind. So if we're if we're looking for truth and we're looking for clouds that clear seeing, we, um, there's not much. There's no way to have clear seeing without without ethics. And we could see this on a moment to moment basis. How does it feel? Uh, is your mind restful and calm and at ease when you argue with people, or not? Yeah. When you when you're cheating, lying, stealing, envious, jealous, how is the quality of your mind? Agitated. Is it agitated? Yeah. Or, yeah right. It's gonna come up when you sit. It's gonna come up when you sit. Are you? Is it gonna be difficult to detangle yourself from following thoughts mm -hmm. when when you have that type of unwholesome activity going on? Right. Yeah. So there's no way to detangle ourselves effectively. Now, if you're spending a day in service and in kindness and in right speech, some compassion, how is the how is the quality of your mind when you're doing those when you're doing those types of activities? <sighs> Scientific anything about this, but I think a vibration like the kind of the lightness of what you just listed versus like the weight of what we yeah. were just talking about. Right. Right. So I don't, I don't know if there's a vibrational uh, difference between those, but it just seems like, yeah, lighter and clearer. Lighter and clearer, right? So they speak of the mind kind of like a pond, you know, and we talk about the hindrances. Um, so like hindrances of, of anger or attachment and aversion. So like the, the water has dye in the water or agitation to the water surface, like wind, um, algae, mud, like doubt is mud. Right, and then when all of those hindrances um, are subtracted, the water is calm and it's clear, and you can see the bottom, and that's our true nature, right? The clear pond, clear scene. Oh, it's like this. Oh, I've been thinking it's like this. I've been, I've had a wrong view. And again, another analogy is that we're cleaning a window, that's been that you know it's a dirty window, and you're and you're cleaning it and cleaning it and cleaning it and all of a sudden oh clear now I could see right so without sila practices there's no clear seeing right it's just muddied all the time right also we're a diamond covered in mud that's another analogy right Pramanta Yogananda used to love that one the diamond covered in mud right so we just can't see so much of this is sila practices now that we have 
the calmness of mind, we can move into uh, concentration practices called uh, you call them samadhi practices, indistractability. Why is it important to have concentration? How can concentration lead to, to truth? Um, it facilitates clear being and mindfulness. It makes it possible. Makes it possible. Makes it possible for what? To not get hooked. To not get hooked. To right? hold on to truth. And to hold on to truth. Yeah, because we could have a moment of truth, like I'm. This is it. But concentration holds the mind down on whatever, and it could hold the mind down on awareness, right? So we we did awareing in the beginning of the meditation. We're aware, we're awake, yeah? So concentration allows the mind to hold on to that. I feel like it enhances non-connectivity. Like it, it gives you the ability to not connect to everything that comes into your awareness. Yeah, it kind of gives you the, the ability for conscious choice on what you want to kind of attach to or not. Yeah? Like strong mindfulness, right? And then the, the final one is wisdom. So you'll see a lot of times like wisdom or equanimity as the fruition of the practice, right? So you have sila, you have, you have sila and ethics, you have concentration, and that's going to lead to insight, you know, into, into wisdom. All right. I'm still awake. I'm still okay. <laughs> no one's falling asleep yet. Oh, God. Um, all right, so these are four. The next one is the the list of four. So these are, these are biggies, right? The four noble truths. And so if we talked. We began by saying that we're going to be looking at truth. And so it's no um, accident that the first time Buddha ever taught anything, this is what he taught. So after his awakening. He met some old friends, and they said, man, you look different. Um, what is it about you? And he just said, what did he say? He said something very powerful. He said, are you omniscient? Are you this? Are you a guru now? Blah, blah, blah. What did he say? I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm awake. Bodhi. I'm awake. So this wake, this wakefulness, it led to you know this, you know he was not caught, right? Because when we get caught in thoughts, we go to sleep. Yeah. So that's what non-awake feels like when we're caught in thoughts. So we do this all the time. Like when I'm talking, once you get caught in thought, you can't hear what I'm saying anymore. Yeah, you're asleep. you're asleep. If there is a clock ticking in the room and all of a sudden you get caught on your thoughts, that clock disappears. You're no longer awake to that. Yeah? And then when we fall asleep, we fall asleep to our actions. If we fall asleep to our actions, then we fall asleep to, the, to our conscious choice to, to enhance the wholesome and to say no to the unwholesome. We lose our mindfulness, right? There's no more mindfulness, there's no more mindfulness, there's no more transformation. We're just caught in the habitual pattern of stimulation and habitual response. That's it. And on and on it goes. Yeah? 
We wake up, we're wary, we're awake, we're conscious, we're mindful. Now I have choice. If I have choice, now I could choose something different. Yeah? I could use my wisdom and compassion, even relative wisdom and compassion, to choose something different. If we choose something different over and over and over again, guess what? Less and less suffering. Yeah? More and more alignment with our true nature. Until we just notice that that's what we are. Like we cultivate love and compassion and we say, oh, cultivating, cultivating, relative bodhicitta, I'm cultivating love and compassion. I am love and compassion <laughs> at some point. Yeah? It's interesting how we build personas around ourselves too, just through habitual action and experience and kind of affirming those actions. Someone could think, you know, I'm a, I'm a really jealous person or, you know, I'm, I'm a depressed person or I'm a this person. How are we categorize ourselves but if we look those are just a series of events added up yeah and all of a sudden if they build up strong enough for long enough then all of a sudden we have a persona so it's interesting as we become mindful choose different actions so what's the basis of these these four noble truths if you were just to succinctly what are you really asking What's that? What are you really asking us? What's what the, the essence basis? of the, of what's the essence of the four noble truths? Besides the truth, the noble truths themselves, like I, I'm sorry, I'm not really clear. Craving leads to suffering. Yeah. Yeah, just them. It's just like attachment leads to suffering. Okay. Yeah, and then not attachment leads to non-suffering. But the first noble truth is so important. This is the mindfulness part, right? What's the first noble truth? There is that there is suffering. So like when we, when we talked about the forgetting of that impermanence and forgetting you know, about interdependence, forgetting about, about emptiness, leads to so much suffering. Uh, forgetting about suffering um, is kind of the ultimate ignorance. You know, like uh, some of the Tibetans would come and they would say, they would tell us that we're all neurotic. They said, your whole country is neurotic. You're suffering from an intense neurosis. You're grasping onto things that, that you think will bring happiness. It's like, it's, it's really crazy. And, and that the pace of our being, like the pace of life and, and all this stuff. Is so much of it is neurotic thinking that this is going to lead to some sort of contentment you know, and not noticing these sufferings. I think that the suffering from desire is really interesting to me because um, it feels good, you know? And I see myself like, you know, I'm going to go on a, a motorcycle ride, um, not this coming week, but the following week. And I see myself fantasizing about riding. You know, it's something that's my attachment, right? It's something that I really love to do and whatnot. And so in my meditations, you know, I'll want to, to visualize myself riding. So this is one thing that I've dealt with for a very long time. <laughs> is that I'll go into meditation, and how many of you do that? You visualize yourself doing what you want to go do. Right? So for me, it's riding. I'll visualize a track that I go to, 
and I'll hit all the jumps and all the stuff, right? <laughs> so it feels good. It's pleasant, right? It's pleasant for me to, to, do, to do that, to go into meditation and to do that. Just like it's pleasant for me actually riding. But, and, and that's not a problem. But if there's an attachment to that, then there's suffering. Now, usually those are combined. Usually there's not wakefulness of like this and the attachment. And so even that is all suffering, right? Because obviously if I went on my trip um, and my bike broke the first day, then what? How would I feel about that? Yeah? Yeah, motorcycle. Huh? Damn <laughs> motorcycle, damn whatever. Yeah, like carrying disappointment and all this stuff. Yeah. Even just the days leading up to it, you might get impatient. Like, oh, I'm not riding like today. Yeah. Perfect example. That's so true. Is that even even in the state of desire, even though it feels pleasant, it's a wanting, it's a craving, it's different than attainment, right? Like after, um, it's really after the calmness is seen in the in the seven factors of enlightenment. Is that we have that rapture and joy. So there's rapture and joy, and then. Next comes calm, tranquility. Because of that calm and tranquility, we have, we have concentration. Because of the concentration, we have equanimity. We, we usually think of the rapture part, the joy and rapture. Like we look for that peak experience, right? But even that, there's, there's a longing, right? There's a, a tenseness, right? I use the example, last time we were talking about seven factors of when we take uh, our dog to the beach. And when he gets out of the car, he gets on the beach, he's just like full of rapture. You know, like rapture and joy, he's like rah, like that. But then after that, there's a sense of calm, you know? And then sometimes he'll just, you know, sit, he'll wear himself out and he'll just sit down. And I'm thinking, well, that's really the peace, you know? You see, it, you see all the dogs when they're getting to the beach, I mean, there's full of joy. They're pulling, pulling, pulling. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of craving there, mm -hmm. right? They're, they really, really want, you know, really desire. So the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering to be awake to that, and then to relieve ourselves through non-attachment. All that, all that suffering, that craving is coming from attachment. It's also very important to note, I think, when, when we hear these things, or maybe from the outside in, people think that, you know, Buddhism is all about um, renunciation in that, uh, renunciating the actual act of some of these things. And it's not, we're renunciating the attachment. We're not renunciating any activity, unless, it's, unless it hurts others or it hurts ourselves. We don't need to not do anything. It's just the attachment of that. All right. Well, I've been blabbing for a while. Um, maybe let's let's just spend some time and and let's connect with each other and share some wisdom with each other that's in the room. And out of the things that we covered so far, which we only got you know a page into it or something like this, um, maybe just re reflect with your partner or maybe no groups more than three. What out of these things have helped you? Um, 
even, I mean, if you're new and just hearing them for the first time, you could kind of conceive of what resonated with you, or that have helped you, if you're a practitioner already, uh, relieve some suffering or define a kind of your own truth. What, is, what has helped you? Hopefully you've gotten some help from this. If you're, you're like, nothing. Nothing's really helped. Um, and again, even if you're just reading it, if, you, if anything resonated throughout the talk today, then it's like, yeah, this, this could really you know, uh, help me relieve suffering. So just turn to the people next to you. No group more than three, so we keep it a little on the shorter end. Does anyone want to share with the larger group? What kind of came up for them? We were talking about impermanence and uh, interbeing and living in the moment. We have a question about hope. Mm -hmm. Is hope uh, not right because it's <laughs> focusing on the future <laughs> and how things are going to turn out? What, what would you, what would you answer mm -hmm. that question? Yeah, hope and fear. You know, hope and fear are usually in in the category of samsaric attitudes. You know, so on a relative level, you know, we we could hope people that it's like part of compassion to come in. I hope you are well. You know, I hope somebody turns out okay. You mm -hmm. know, I hope that I am well. I still have hope for the future on a relative level, like being hopeful. Sometimes there's a need for that for a being that when we're really really at the end of our wits and it's almost like a prayer you know like I, I hope I hope I feel better you know things like this you know so in that sense and, and again a relative truth is not just we're not throwing out relative truth we're just having the wisdom to, to see both right so we're not throwing it out and so ultimately we're okay ultimately we don't need hope because there's nothing to fear there's nothing wrong. Even even the world's most, uh, you know, insane cal uh, calamity calamities. Calamity. Why well, I can't say that word right now. Um, catastrophes. You know, all these things. It's just ultimate truth. It's okay. We're okay. So yeah, there's a there's a place for it. Um, it's just the wisdom to know. The ultimate truth would be we're all right. I remember seeing a, a meme that said at the top, it's all right. Nothing is in control. Nothing's in control. <laughs> right? And so if but we're it's all right. It's all right. And as long as we're all in line with that. But see we're not. We're not in line with impermanence. We're not in line with interdependence. Yeah, we're pushing against a river that's flowing and we're in the middle of it, going Arr! But if you turn turn around and you're going with the current and you lift your feet up and you're flowing, everything's perfect. You don't even realize you're floating down the river until you stop, is what we do. Like, I want you to be like this, and I want you to go away, and you stay like this, and you stay like that, and you do this, and da-da-da, and I stay like this, and don't wrinkle, and da-da. Right? Like that. And then there's a lot of dissonance, and then we have things like hope and cure arise from that delusion. You know, because of the dissonance with how things are, because we're not in line with how things are. 
having gone whitewater kayaking a few times, absolutely hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you try and fight the current, ooh, you're in for a rough day. Yeah, yeah. You gotta go, go with it. Um, one more. We talked a lot about um, associating a story with everything and then getting caught up in that story and kind of getting away from the truth because we're putting so much of our energy into this thing that might not even be real. Again, nobody does that. <laughs> that's, that's just you guys. Yeah, it's so huge. And, and we literally live in our story. I know this is like kind of obvious, but yeah, we live there instead of reality. Like reality is so incredibly simple. Like what do we know to be true? The dog running to the sea. What? <laughs> I meant like that when you were having that experience of telling us about the dog, the oh. dog and the dog going, give me that water. Yeah, yeah. And that's true. That's all the truth we need. Okay, cool. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And in this moment, what do we know to be true? Mm -hmm. You're here. Mm. You're here? What else is true right now? Breathing. We're breathing. Hearing. Huh? Hearing. Hearing. Seeing. Seeing. Impermanence. Impermanence. Watching things impermanent. Sensation. It's true. Outside of that, is there much that we actually know for sure? No. Outside of 30-something people in a room breathing? <laughs> really? Is there much really more than we know? No, we all have our own worries and concerns, but how much of that do we really know that's even going to come to fruition? If we give ourselves little pieces of that throughout the day, just think of how much more capacity you will have to hold when things do go wrong. If you just give yourself little moments throughout the day, breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out, staying with what is actually real in this moment. Say, all I have to worry about in this moment, this is it, all I, I have food, clothes, I'm fine. It's just this. It's just this. So I guess the takeaway for today is that I really wanted to to emphasize when we're looking at anything with the path, relate it to how how is this waking me up to truth? Because we can get we can get lost in oh it's ethics and these words and sila and samadhi and vipassana and you know why are we doing it? How does how does this wake me up to truth? How does sila? How does the, you know, whatever you're looking at when you go through all of these lists? If you could relate it in that way, I think they become clearer. Oh, it's this is why I'm doing this. You know, this is why I'm doing that. Okay, so Mindy, is it okay if we say a prayer? Yeah. Okay. Um, we've had a couple of losses. Um, recently, one is um, with our dear Mindia's father, 
and also with our dear Sue's father. And so let's just come into a place of stillness. Just reaching into our heart of hearts, speaking so much of compassion. And thinking of these beings on their spirit journeys. visualizing all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, the saints and sages, all times, all religions, clearing away any obstacles on their paths, connecting them to exactly what they need in perfect timing. Supporting them, supporting their families, allowing this transition to be fruitful be uplifting, to be filled with wisdom, growth, and may this be felt by all beings. May them, their families, all those they're connected to. May they be filled with more and more happiness and less suffering. Oh, Mani Pemium. you all so much for supporting one another, for showing up, for being here. It's so incredibly special to have a supportive community like nothing else. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.